Are you ready to begin your journey out of the realm of just theories and into a world of excitement and experience that only comes with braving the unknown? Join us as we speak to entrepreneurs who have faced the challenges of successfully creating businesses at home as well as abroad. Whether it's arts, services, or tech, from Shanghai to Tokyo, Bangkok to Mumbai, we'll help you find your inspiration and turn it into action. Get ready for Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now welcome your host, Neville J. McKenzie. Joanne Sukumaran initially wanted to be a cellist and auditioned for the Singapore National Youth Orchestra at age 12. However, this led to her receiving a full bassoon scholarship and being tutored by Jiang Jin Min. After reading a Bachelor of Arts in Economics and Literature, Joanne followed her passion as a professional musician, and now, like many entrepreneurs, she's taken the plunge and looking to raise funds to take her career in a new direction. It's a bit um, hard to say when inspiration strikes. It's not every day that it comes. So when it comes, I try to make a, like a voice memo of the idea. She talks about the challenges. So uh, you're so long in the in this game, and you're still talking about privacy, <laughs> you know. So, so yeah, and uh, yeah. So I think um, I'm quite careful about the content I put out on social media. And so now, without further delay, let's begin. Hi, this is Neville J. McKenzie, and I'm here today with Joanne Sukumaran. Joe, can you just introduce yourself? Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for having me here. Uh, my name is Joanne. I'm a Singaporean classical musician and I play the bassoon. I also play the piano and uh, I teach mostly and I perform um, as an independent artist. Okay, so Joe, can you explain how you became a musician? I My journey started when... Um, Pretty far back, I started playing the piano when I was about six years old. And I auditioned for the Singapore Youth Orchestra at age 12. Um, I think a significant um, event that happened when I was about 18, I was selected to go to Bangkok for an ASEAN Youth Workshop. And we went there for a two-week orchestra workshop. And I had the best time and I really wanted to... Uh, become a musician and what really cemented it was I watched a film which was called um, The Music Garden inspired by Bach's Cello Suite by Yo-Yo Ma and that really wanted, uh, made me become a musician. Can you just repeat that? Uh, it's called The Music Garden and it's inspired by J.S. Bach's first cello suite and it was played by Yo-Yo Ma. Okay, so yeah. let's have a listen. Thank you. 
Okay, Joe, let's carry on now. And tell me why you're here today, because if you're a musician, many listeners will be probably wondering why a musician would be on an entrepreneur's podcast. Yeah, I can imagine it must be quite odd uh, why I'm here. And um, I think uh, because mainly I'm about to launch a very big project, which is a crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter. And I would be launching a campaign on 7th of September, which is called The Night Garden. And this crowdfunding will help uh, support the production, the development and the recording of my first solo album. That's why I'm here. So why is uh, crowdsourcing um, the best option? Um, well, I mean, I, I actually went through s um, several months of research where I researched uh, getting a government grant, a public grant, um, to support this album. But uh, there are several restrictions um, when you want to apply for an EP grant. And uh, being a, uh, from the classical genre, I don't really fall in that uh, category. And uh, so I was um, reading up and consulting some mentors, some advisors, and I finally decided that crowdfunding was the best way to go about it. So what alternatives were there that you looked at? Um, well, uh, there was another system uh, where it's uh, called Patreon. Patreon is something similar to crowdfunding, but um, it is more for an indie artist where you would have an ongoing profile and you would have to uh, publish continual singles uh, or music videos to the your patrons. And uh, Patreon is doing very well, uh, but uh, I think for my project, I think I need something more concrete, so a definite goal. Uh, that's what I'm working to, to a publication of an album, so I think a Kickstarter is the best way to go about it. Can you explain your life as a musician, where you've played or how you've played? A huge uh, part of my training when I was a teenager was playing in the Singapore Youth Orchestra. So basically I spent my teenage years in the Victoria Concert Hall. So it was a very nerdy uh, time uh, as a teenager, always uh, rehearsing, practicing. Uh, my life as a musician is... Um, quite a colourful one. I play in different kinds of groups. So mainly I play in orchestras. For example, I play in Resound Chamber Orchestra, which is uh, one of Singapore's professional chamber orchestras. I also play in wind ensembles, which is called uh, Singapore Philharmonic Winds. And uh, recently I played in the Philharmonic Youth Winds as a guest player, which we took part in the Singapore International Band Festival. Where was that? Uh, that was at Esplanade, uh, and we played uh, quite a quite a uh, energetic program uh, in Esplanade Concert Hall in in late July. And uh, recently, I was invited to play in Jeju in South Korea. I took part in the International Summer Festival for Wind Ensemble, so I was invited to play for the Korean Wind Consort. And how was that? Oh, it was so much fun. I had the, I had a really good time. It was very short and intense. We had uh, um, only two rehearsals and immediately two concerts. Yeah, so it was it was great fun, and I made a lot of new friends. And uh, yeah. So how how long is a rehearsal period normally? Usually, when you play with an orchestra, you would have about three to four rehearsals and then a concert. Um, so this one was, um, of course, it being a festival, things have to move 
a lot quicker. So we only had two rehearsals and two different concerts. Yeah. And do you do a lot of traveling? Um, I used to do a lot of traveling. I took a lot of orchestral auditions. Uh, I was traveling a lot to Europe to take auditions for professional orchestras. So can you give us an example? Um, an example, an audition was I did an audition in Denmark for a chamber orchestra. And uh, yeah, so uh, being that Singapore is pretty far away from the the big music capitals, uh, you yeah, you have to fly and it's rather costly. So I usually, what I did was I tried to take several auditions in a single trip to make the most of my mileage. So how were you financing yourself during oh, that period? Um, well, I mean, I, I taught a lot. I was lecturing at a, a local uh, institution. I was teaching at Republic Polytechnic. So teaching, lecturing, and uh, yeah, that was I was self-funding all these trips, yeah. So is life as an orchestra musician stressful? Yes, I believe um, as an orchestral musician that um, you always have a deadline. The concert is your deadline. And um, you are part of a group, so you all have a common objective. So the stress can come in the forms of uh, many ways. It could be... Uh, the difficulty of the moment because your solo could be very exposed. It could be different circumstances. It's very different for everyone. It could also be the the quality of your read because as a double read player, a lot of our mood is dependent on how well our read is working. Let's have some more music from you and an excerpt of The Grandfather from Peter and the Wolf by Sergei Prokofiev. <laughs> Okay, that sounded wonderful. I've heard Peter and the Wolf played many times on TV, radio, but I didn't realize it was played by the bassoon. So what inspired you to play the bassoon? Uh, it's a funny story. I actually wanted to be a cellist. So I, when I was about 11, 12 years old, I, I had a Chinese tuition teacher and uh, her daughter was playing timpani in the youth orchestra. And she said, Joanne, you should try out for SYO. So I, I just did it on a whim. And I, in my audition, I played uh, something on the piano and the clarinet because I was playing in the school band. Uh, and clarinet was the instrument then. And the conductor took one look at me and he said, you know what, I think I'm going to put you on the bassoon. Why was that? I, I'm not quite sure the reason. Maybe he wanted more people to play the bassoon. It's not a very popular instrument, um, perhaps, uh, and it's not very well known. And uh, so it, it is quite long um if you if i put it uh standing up it comes up to just under my chin so it's pretty long and it's pretty heavy so i was really uh just very shy and timid and then he said but you do know what a bassoon is and i said yes you know and i, I just you? and i didn't know what it was so i was given a full scholarship 
uh, as a trainee member and I had a teacher who was a member of the Singapore Symphony Orchestra and I just started learning the bassoon. Um, but I've always been drawn to the low sounds. Uh, as I said, I really love the sound of the cello. And uh, from, from then, over the years, uh, the bassoon somehow became my voice. And uh, sometimes I nickname, I have a um, special character, like for my bassoon, I call him Mr. Bassoon. And uh, some of my friends uh, find it really funny because they follow me on, on uh, social media. And sometimes I post the post as Mr. Bassoon talking. So, yeah. so is it common for musicians to name their instruments? Um. I'm not sure, right? Some musicians do name their instruments. Uh, I know there's this well-known violinist, Hilary Han, and she uh, writes posts from her violin case. Yeah, so it's uh, a way of, I think, protecting her privacy, but uh, doing it in a very acute way. Yeah. So how many bassoons have you had, or have you had the same bassoon throughout your career, or is it, uh, is it something that you change based on how well you're doing? It's really something very personal. So it's uh, it's something that you you pick with special care. So of course the bassoon is uh, of course a very expensive instrument. Uh, for a student, it's uh, really quite uh, unaffordable. So for a long time, I had an instrument um, out of a loan because I'm a member of the youth orchestra. But eventually when I left, um, I had to borrow the instrument, for example, from an opera company when I was playing for the lyric opera. And then when I decided to really uh, study professionally, then I, uh, yeah, my family helped me to get my first bassoon, which was a Puchner. Uh, the, that's the brand of the bassoon. Currently, I play on a bassoon that's uh, a Moosmann. So it's a different brand, but they're both German brands. So could you tell us roughly how much a bassoon costs? Ah, so a bassoon is about uh, about eight thousand and up. Eight thousand is that USD Sing dollars? About Sing dollars. Sing dollars. Yeah, yeah, eight thousand yeah. Sing dollars. It's, yeah. That's quite pricey. Yeah, and it's a pretty hefty investment. Yes. And is it difficult to maintain a bassoon, or do you, do you have maintenance costs? Uh, yes, I mean, um, I do see a technician uh, from time to time and um, he's very kind and he yeah, he helps uh, me to sort out some minor issues now and then. But I I should bring the Mr. Bassoon for a refurbishment soon. Oh, okay. And <laughs> yeah. how often would you have to do that? Probably every year, but I'm not very conscientious about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When you get your crowdsourcing campaign off the road yeah. you'll have to um, give a quick refurbishment beforehand or before you actually perform the music I think before we uh, before we enter the recording studio I should because then uh, to reduce all the noises from the mechanics I think that's critical that I really do it okay. <laughs> in a previous podcast I discussed mental health issues um, and before we started the recording, you mentioned that you'd listened to that and you had something to say in connection with your own music. Yeah, definitely. I was uh, going through a tough time, a rough patch, and uh, I was really confused about my career path. 
And actually, I, I reached out to the a mentor and he actually advised me to do this silent uh, meditation course, which is called Vipassana Meditation. And it's completely free when you sign up. But when you, you begin, you have to sign a contract and to obey all the rules that uh, which are quite strict and you have to live very modestly and uh, eat vegetarian food every day and meditate for more than 10 hours a day. So um, I guess I was searching for the next uh, um, point, um, I mean, searching what to do in my career because I deep down wanted to work on a solo album but I was too afraid to do it. And I also felt quite uh, upset with some like negative rumours and gossip that was going around about me in the music circle. So I wanted to gain some clarity about these two issues. And uh, actually, over the 10 days, it it was on St. John Island. It was a very um, peaceful place. And it felt like a silent movie in World War II because you only had the planes flying above you, the natural canopy of the trees being by the sea, and you were in silence the whole day. So um, I often woke up in the mornings with different music ringing in my ears. And um, so prior to the meditation retreat, I was also at the dialogue session. It was at Singapore Art Museum. And it was a dialogue about having difficult conversations. And I think there were some prominent bloggers there. Uh, one of them was Kirsten Hunt. And then she was. Uh, they were talking about how to have difficult conversations in Singapore. And what struck me that there was a Malay gentleman that said that he wished there were more safe spaces in Singapore for open dialogue and for self-expression. So I always felt a little bit weird in Singapore society because um, I don't have a 9-to-5 job. I have a different kind of lifestyle and you, you don't always fit in. But I have friends from all walks of life. Even some of my closest friends are lawyers or they work in marketing or they even work in sales. So... Um, so having this idea of safe spaces, um, I also felt like, you know, sometimes as a a woman, as a female artist, um, you never know like whether, uh, that promoter or that agent is serious about you. And sometimes you get into weird situations, you know? And so I also was looking for this safe space for myself. So I wanted to Um, create this safe space through my music and uh, also with my own experience of trying to feel well mentally having a well-being I believe that mental health is a very critical topic that we should talk about and discuss so I think um, that's what I want to also raise awareness to to mental health Okay, so Joanne, can you tell us the inspiration for your album? Yeah, so the album will be called The Night Garden and uh, I've always uh, liked to explore nature and the outdoors in my free time. It keeps me, um, like, gives me a healthy balance because when 
you're practicing very intensely indoors. And I live uh, in a HDB like most Singaporeans and the HDB is really quite small. So I, I would uh, need to have some fresh air and uh, I would like to go running or walking. And near my house, there's actually a very, very nice eco, eco garden. And it's kept really natural. It's in uh, Tampanese. And uh, it's really lovely to go in the early morning on the evening because you can uh, watch the unusual birds or the unusual fauna. There's um, really, a, I always feel a sense of uh, great peace and uh, I can uh, have some uh, breathing space, you know. So, so from then, I, I always found nature to to be uh, relaxing. And then, as I was um, um, doing research uh, on how to be more creative and uh, start to improvise and write my own music, I read um, an interview of this um, Icelandic singer. Her name is Bjork. She's pretty famous. And she mentioned that actually that the, the best source of inspiration was her walks. And when she was a kid, she used to walk to school back and forth for about 45 minutes each way. And she would sing to herself and that actually became her songs in her album. So I decided to try an experiment. So I actually like to cycle. So, you know, in Singapore, we have a lot of those free uh, city bikes or sharing bikes. So I would cycle to Badok Reservoir and I would just turn off my phone uh, to stay off the internet. And I was sitting by the Badok Reservoir by the water and uh, I just tried to find some uh, inspiration from the water and from the nature. And something curious actually happened. So um, it was around... Um, yeah, this time of the year, this we are almost at the Midsummer Festival for the Mooncake Festival. It was this time last year, and uh, I would, uh, yeah, take this time in nature and uh, walk in the night here in the gardens near my house. And this, uh, the beginnings of a composition actually started to form in my head. So I found it so curious because I said, oh, maybe really Bjork is right, you know. So I, I went home and I started to tinker around on my piano and I actually came up with a short composition. And so, and then I started to improvise and um, yeah, so the dots connected. I found that actually being in nature, uh, being um, offline of the internet really helps me to find this healthy balance and actually makes me more creative so and then um, I also did a meditation course on St. John's Island and it's a 10-day silent retreat where you are not allowed to talk you can't bring your phone you can't write in a book and you have to wake up every day at 4am and uh, it was pretty intense and um, being um, on this island in isolation in under the canopy of the the uh, Singapore rainforest. That really um, helped me to conceive the the concept of the album. So I wanted something to be in about nature and in the stillness of the night. So that's how the title came about, The Night Garden. So what's the title? The Night Garden. The Night Garden. Yeah. So how often, or how long did it take you to compose? Or are you still composing? Um, so... It's a bit um, hard to say when inspiration strikes. It's not every day that it comes. 
So when it comes, I try to make a like a voice memo of the idea. But currently for this album, I'm focusing more on a classical album. So, but I do have some um, original improvisations on the side. Oh, yeah. so this album will be what? Will it, will this album be sort of recognized composers? Yes, yes, yes. So it will be from the classical tradition. So I will have composers, uh, for example, like uh, Camille Sanson's, Alexander Tansman, another French composer, Charles Cochlan, and uh, also um, a living composer, which is a Norwegian bassoonist and composer, Robert Ronas. So, but the pieces are centered around the theme of the night and nature, you see. Let's have an example of what we can expect from you in your first solo album, The Night Garden, and an excerpt from Saint Sans Sonata for bassoon and piano. played for a number of years now so where would be your favorite place to play your favorite concert hall my favorite concert hall would have to be the Concertgebouw in Amsterdam and uh, I really like this hall I can't put my finger on it it seemed to have a, a very uh, special uh, place for me because I played there three times the first time I played there was with the NEO, which is the, the Youth Orchestra of Netherlands, uh, of Holland. So I I was uh, accepted one year into this Youth Orchestra and we did a Sunday concert there. And the second time was I played a project with the uh, the Dutch Marine Band. And I, was, I lived one year in Holland at that time and it was just as about to leave Holland to return to Singapore. And the third time was when I played for the Save the Bassoon campaign. It was the closing concert for the one-year-long campaign. It was to raise awareness for the bassoon. So when you say Save the Bassoon, what was the thinking behind that? So Save the Bassoon was a campaign started by the Holland Festival. And uh, every year an instrument is chosen um, to be promoted and... um, and uh, given a bigger uh, awareness too. So that year, it was 2016, it was the year of the bassoon, um, because they they thought that uh, many uh, children were not playing the bassoon anymore, and if this trend continued, we would have um, extinction of bassoon players, so to speak. Is that because the bassoon is so big, as you mentioned before? Yeah, the bassoon is big and expensive and uh, and. As a kid, I think most parents would rather choose the violin, the piano, or the flute, right? So the bassoon is actually a very uh, unusual instrument. Is it a personal instrument? Because a piano, you tend to find pianos in many places, um, while a bassoon, um, you don't see lying lying around anywhere. That's true. That's very true. Because uh, you, for example, if... 
something were to happen to your instrument and you had to play on someone else's instrument for a concert, you would feel quite uncomfortable because of the um, the physical um, um, uh, minute uh, distances of the keys. Right? And you you get very attached to your instrument. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The bassoon is actually very personal. And you mentioned something about the reed. You said, is it a double reed? What does that mean, a double reed? So uh, a reed is um, like a mouthpiece where you actually blow the air through into the instrument. And the oboe and the bassoon form both the double reed instruments of the orchestra. Uh, for the Chinese instruments, you have the suona. And for the Indian instrument, you have also a, a similar kind of instrument, the shenai. So, but for the classical, the Western uh, tradition, these two instruments form the double reed instruments. And um, oftentimes, uh, most double reed uh, musicians spend a lot of time uh, making reeds because the reed is critical to the kind of attack that you make or the sound that you have. I think sound, uh, the concept of sound is always starts from what kind of reed you use, what kind of instrument. You, of course, the player makes the difference. So you make your own reeds? I used to, but uh, I also used the reeds from a very uh, brilliant Dutch maker. He's the he's a Dutch player in the Rotterdam Philharmonic because he makes such good reeds. That, you know, I, I, how long does a reed last? A reed lasts between, it really depends on how, how much you play on it. But if you have a very good concert read, you usually save them for those special occasions. How long? A year? Two oh, years? Oh, I think between one to three months. Really? Yeah, it's, it's something like a ballet shoe. Yeah. So when you first get it, it doesn't sound, it sounds quite nasal. Uh, and it sounds really funny, but it takes time to break into. And then, then it sounds the best at its prime. And then it slowly decays. And then it's time to go to the grave. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. Talking about reeds, actually, I have um, a podcast about double reeds. And it's called Legends of Reed. Yeah. So, it started out uh, in April. And it was, at first, a blog. It was a interview series. I would interview famous double reed musicians. Yeah. So, how often do you do publish how often do you publish your podcast i would like to do it uh ideally more often but i ha have been quite busy teaching i was teaching at the university in the summer so i hope to um yeah resume the publication so um so far i've interviewed five musicians this year and uh, i think uh, it's been received very well by the classical community i've uh, had uh, musicians write to me uh uh, asking uh, for more or when they had I would ask people to submit questions and uh, I think the feedback has been great I've been very pleased about it um, because I think it really helps to build a sense of community um, I think those days of um, uh, being the best musician uh, like I'm the best uh, or hiding one's uh, knowledge is over people are now uh, sharing information and uh, everybody is um, uh, wanting the, the other person to succeed. So I think it's, it's about goodwill and building bridges and community and sharing information. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, you, for a long time, you were, work, you were performing with orchestras and ensembles. And 
Are you going to continue that, or how are you going to perform in the future? Ah, uh, this is a very good question because uh, last year I was kind of in a bit of a limbo about this. Um, so I did. Um, I mean, I I'm mostly. I'm very. I think you can say flexible player. I can um, um, more or less um, survive in most situations. Uh, but last year, I made the decision um, to concentrate m- more on a solo and chamber track rather than orchestra. But I still, I still accept a lot of orchestra projects, and I, I enjoy playing in uh, playing in orchestra because of the energy and the sound and the volume. Uh, but I think that I would like to explore um, my um, repertoire in the chamber chamber music ensembles. So that's why I'm working towards this solo album. Yeah. And will that require more traveling? Will you have enough opportunities in Singapore to explore those? Uh, I I definitely hope so because I've always um, felt that um, I want to be part of the Singapore Music Society. Uh, But uh, being independent means that you have to take ownership. Um, So uh, talking about business terms, you have to do your own business development. So I am responsible to reach out and um, secure engagements for myself. That's more in the entrepreneurial. Yeah, so in the sense that I'm my own manager. So I'm responsible for my own success and um, not so much relying on people to call me up for a project or a gig. So I I think it's, it's a mixed bag. Sometimes it gives me anxiety because I don't know how many projects I get. But on the other hand, then... I can see I I take the career more into my own hands and I have more creative control, which I like. <laughs> yeah. And what do you see as a major challenge? Major challenge? Yeah, in managing yourself. Uh, I would say the biggest challenge I had uh, the last few years was dealing with um, uh, detractors or critics. Um, so... I think that's common. That's something yeah. entrepreneurs generally find yeah. Um, yeah. common. Yeah. Uh, people, the naysayers. Yeah, the naysayers. Even with the album, when I, I tell some people about the album, uh, not everyone is 100% uh, um, positive about it because, as you know, the music industry and um, music production is. Um, the recording industry is, um, how do you say, you know, being. Um, penetrated by streaming um, services like Spotify and so on. So the revenue of, of releasing a new album is, of course, not going to be the most uh, profitable uh, business model. So why work on an album, you know? So I think an, an album is like a snapshot of a point in your life. And uh, I always wanted to create something. I wanted to be creative and create something new, something for my own voice, my own uh, with my friends, and uh, and to collaborate with like-minded people. Um, yeah, of course, you can say that um, albums are on the way out, but I think that most musicians realize this. The album is just one part of the process. I think the 
the um, the way to go is to have more live concerts. Yeah. So you're thinking that the album's on the way. Maybe the album is more of a marketing tool. Could it be a marketing tool for your live concerts? Mm. Is that how you see it? I think the album is more like a yeah, like a calling card. Calling card. Like a calling card, yeah. and to establish myself more as an independent artist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are there many people following this route in classical music? Uh, not many people are doing it, and uh, it is pretty. Uh, how you say? Uh, uh, if you tell uh, really classical musicians about it, some even uh, scoff at me because I play the bassoon. I don't play the most popular instruments like the violin, the cello, or the piano. And the bassoon is not known to be a solo instrument. But I seen um, from from the musicians that I admire and I respect. They they really gave me the the belief that uh, that um, you know that I can pursue this path. Are there any solo bassoonists? Yeah, there are some uh, special ones, and uh, actually a very special bassoonist is the Dutch bassoonist Bram van Zandbeek, and uh, he's now professor in the Music Hochschule in Cologne. And he was formerly the principal bassoon in Rotterdam Philharmonic. And uh, actually, I was playing for him last summer. And uh, I just asked him for some career advice. Because, uh, yeah, I was not succeeding in orchestra auditions. So I was getting very depressed about it. So I was like, what do I do, you know, with myself? And then we were working for two weeks in a small town in, in Germany. And he really pushed me to uh, my limits, to improvise, to try different kind of genres. And then he finally told me that he thinks that I can go independent. So that gave me the courage to work on the album concept. But still, I was very afraid. Why? Why were you afraid? I was very afraid because I, I, I don't think I was that famous as him or had a recording contract or manager behind me. And I actually... Um, receive um, an offer from an orchestra in New York. Uh, and I was really on the fence whether to work in that orchestra or work on the album. And at that time, I found a great advisor and he's from the company Hello Stage, which is the LinkedIn of classical music. His name is Bernhard Karras. And I spoke to him several times and he asked me to really do a five-year plan and sit down and take this seriously and write down my long-term goals. And at the end of this exercise, I was shocked at what I wrote down. And uh, What did you write down? Uh, for me, that I personally preferred to go independent. But I just felt pressured to be like everyone else and be part of an orchestra. And then looking back at, uh, I was telling you, my inspiration was the film and the the DVD music garden, and I've always wanted to to emulate this um, chalice yo yo ma. So when I performed last year at the Singapore Double Read Day, and I I played also the Bach uh, cello suite some movements, I said, oh, I, I wanted to be like yo yo ma. Then I realized those words had just come out of my mouth, and I said, oh, so you know, I I really know the choice, but I was just too scared to do it. So with the um, help of Bernhard, uh, we came up with some uh, 
um, plans and steps and how to go on. So, so with with their support and guidance, I finally uh, yeah decided to pursue this new venture. Yeah, and that's what the crowdsourcing. Yes, 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 definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, w- when you looked at crowdsourcing, um, what did you see were going to be the problems that you were going to face? Because you're not um, from a typical entrepreneurial background, or but you have to now work as an entrepreneur. So how did you go about finding out what you needed to find out? I think uh, the first thing was to um, have, um, how do you say, to be less shy. <laughs> Naturally, I'm quite a shy person. And... Uh, so to uh, write to people, to publicize myself, to market myself, to write newsletters was very, very difficult for me because I don't want to bother people or to annoy them. And uh, so I really had to take the leap of faith to overcome my shyness and I'm quite introverted also. So when you when you wrote those letters, yeah. what was the response? Uh, so the... Yeah, people people liked the newsletter. They said it was very uh, snappy, and uh, as you as I said, the podcast was a very um, new thing. And I started out very small. I started out as a interview, an email interview, and a blog. So yeah, so being uh, quite quite shy, I I I felt scared because um, uh, Bernhard. Uh, the, the advisor from Hello Stage asked me to do something like Sarah Willis Horn Hangouts. And Sarah Willis is a very famous horn player from the Berlin Philharmonic. And I told some friends, I said, oh, okay, I should do something like the Horn Hangouts for the bassoon and the oboe. And some people said, yeah, but uh, you know, you need a production team behind you and you're not famous. Who would tune in? So that made me quite discouraged. Then I I decided to start out small because I like to write a lot. So I have a blog on Medium. So I started it out very small scale on Medium, like Legends of Read and and an email interview. And I started interviewing people I had a personal connection to. And the feedback was great, you know. And and I, and I thought, you know, you have to really overcome this introversion of yours. And a good friend of, of me was pretty alarmed. She said, "So uh, you're so long in the in this game, and you're still talking about privacy, <laughs> you know?" So, so yeah, and uh, yeah. So I think um, I'm quite careful about the content I put out on social media, and I don't really um, talk so much about my personal life. I use it mostly for for music purposes. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. So um, I think we're going to have to wrap up for now, but we'll be following your progress and hopefully we can get back in um, and have another chat with you. Um, We'll be putting links to the crowdsourcing and your your podcast in the show notes. Um, Is there anything else you want to mention? No, I'm I'm really very pleased and I I thank you for your encouragement and your your time to publicize my crowdfunding. Okay, so... Okay, so Joanne Sukumaran. Thank you very much and goodbye. And we'll keep in touch. Thank you. And remember that the links to the Kickstarter crowdfunding page, along with other links, will be given at the end of the show notes at asiabizstories.com, Entrepreneurs in Action, Episode 
44. This brings us to the end of this episode of Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now we need you to hit the subscribe button and head over to asiabizstories.com for more great information on how to take your inspiration and turn it into action. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you join us next time on Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Oh, 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 o